Welcome to the Fellowship. Adam Hawk here, joined as always by the founder and CEO, cracking a beer of Nation Golf, Ryan Engel. Ryan, how are you today? Five o'clock somewhere, Adam. It's not five o'clock here. That's for damn sure. It's not even close. It's not even close. But you've put in a full day of manual labor already, haven't you? Yes, sir. We got a little front yard project going on. It's been going on for about a year and a half now. (laughs) Put some posts in, fencing it in. Well, what a weekend in the wide, wide world of sports. And we're going to break it all down right here, right now. Was it? We're going to break it all down. What sports were on this weekend besides the not for long? NFL. I'll tell you, as the only show who proudly ignores the National Football League, it was quite a weekend in the world of sports. So where to begin? Because I have notes on the following topics. The Sanderson Farms Championship. What the hell is that? Professional surfing and surfboard shaping. Oh, God. Oh, God. And Fullerton Girls U8 Recreational Soccer. We're going to talk about all three, but you tell me, Ryan, where do you want me to start? Let's do the shaping thing. I'm interested to hear about it. Okay. Now, it may come as a surprise to some of you that I have a pro surf report from over the weekend, but those of you that know me know that I'm no hoedad. I'm no shooby. In fact, a lot of people call me Mr. Cutback, Mr. Toes on the Nose, Mr. Hang 11 for my world-famous nude rides fully pitted in the epic barrels of Salt Creek. Oh, my God, dude. In fact, I have a saying that a lot of people here love in South County. When Lowers is a pumping, I'm a jumping (laughs) in my van to get to the swells, brother. Oh, my God. You're canceled. So I'm all over what went down this weekend in Del Mar. And I'm, of course, talking about the boardroom show honoring Bing Copeland, or as I call him, Bing Dopeland, because the legend makes some dope logs. Am I right, bro? Uh, yeah. So when I head down the PCH to spend some time with my fellow surf bros, and I attend the Icons of Foam shape-off competition, and I look at the bracket of great shapers going head-to-head for two grand in all the glory, and I don't see the name Ryan Engel vying for the title Icon of Foam, I couldn't help but have my mellow, totally harsh bro... So I ask you, Mr. World-renowned surfboard shaper and former pro, where were you, brah? Did you stay home to look at the ankle slappers and chunder at Doheny with the rest of the Barneys? How come I didn't see you at the boardroom icons of foam shaping contest, you kook? Okay, so... How'd I do, by the way? You did you did really bad, but it was entertaining at least. I'm going to try to talk about this without sounding like a hater, but my beliefs in this, in my opinion, are sound. For one, I grew up in the surf industry, working in surf shops, was a buyer, did a little sub-repping with a few friends for some brands, which basically means that I've been going to those action sports trade shows for a long time. And anyone who's been to those things a number of times hates them. So any trade show for me is like, it's like the plague. I'm masking up and I'm keeping my social distance, you know? Scott Bass puts on the boardroom show. He does a great job. It's a good show and it's very focused on board builders, which is cool because our industry doesn't really focus on board builders. They focus on the big box brands, the clothing companies and stuff. And so it's cool, but it's just not my cup of tea. And I've been to a few of them in the early days. For me, what I found was it was more of like a reunion get together, kind of like all the shapers sticking their chest out and walking by each other's booths. And it's not really customer driven. I think there is more of that now, like buyers come 
coming by and, and looking at your line and stuff. And I'm sure brands like Hobie, they need to use this tool for that. But for what I do in the industry, it's not really in my world anymore. Being that I don't like trade shows and it's not really part of my business model as a shaper, I just kind of stay away. I do have some, I guess some would think, a controversial take on the shaping competition. I'm actually pretty baffled that you brought this up because I watched it this weekend and a good friend of mine, Michael Arnell, won the, the shape off and good for him. It's a hard thing to win, but I have a hard time getting behind it. Put it this way, Hawk. The biggest no-no in all of surfboard building is copying someone's board. It's the biggest no-no. Now, a lot of us are guilty of taking a board that someone has like, hey, I want you to make me something like this. And you kind of, you measure it, you make something close, but you kind of put your touch on it. You're still saving a bit of artistry in it. My problem with the shape off thing, and it's it's cool that they tribute these legends, you know, and they do this thing, but ultimately they're having a competition to see who can copy a board the best. So it's kind of like, yeah, they're hand shaping them, but it's like, doesn't everybody see that that's like sacrilegious? It's a no-no. And I get it, it's for the thing. So that's cool. But that being said, the biggest issue with all of it is, okay, you copied it the best. We measured the fuck out of it. And it's as close to spec as this original as can be. But what's the most important part about a surfboard, Adam? How it works. So we're going to have a shape off and no one's going to ride the fucking board. How do we know that one's the best? What if the other ones are better? We'll never know. I get what they're trying to do, and I don't want to sound like a hater, but there's a hole in that boat. Katie Kai brought this up once, and she's like, what would you do if you did it? I think last year or the year before, a good friend of mine, Timmy Patterson, who's a world-renowned surfboard shaper, they were honoring one of his boards. And I told her, I was like, I would have walked in there on the first challenge, and I would have cut the blank right in half in the middle, and I would have shaped two very abstract boards as fast as I could. It would disqualify me from the competition immediately. And I would have made two boards and just handed them to Timmy and just been like, it's an honor. I would never copy your boards. I'm out. That's just my take. Surfboards are equipment. Who can copy this tennis racket that backs? Well, fuck, which one hits the ball better? You know what I mean? What are we talking about here? And I don't know what we're talking uh, about. Yeah, I'm just saying like, so there's this thing between like, you know, People get boards now digitized and you can get them milled on a CNC machine and finish shape the, the last little bits by hand. Or you can grab a blank, kind of eyeball it, skin it with a hand tools and do it. So there's all these like purists you would call that think that you got to do it the old way, you know, and that's cool. That's their opinion, That whatever. What are we talking about? How do the boards work? What makes the board surf better? Because that's what we're trying to do. Is it about the shaper's ego or is it about the surfer's experience riding the board? When it comes down to copying, seeing who can shape and measure the best, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm not on that team. This is so great. Yesterday, just some origin story for the listeners who might be as confused as I am right now. Yesterday, I popped open Instagram Sunday night, just do a little doom scroll before falling asleep. And because we shared the Nation Golf account, so many surf accounts are followed by Nation Golf. And it is all hieroglyphics to me. I have no idea what any of this stuff is. Never have. I'm from Seattle. I don't know anything about anything when it comes to surfing. But I work in a surf community with a former pro and a surfboard shaper who slings surfboards out of our shop. So a lot of surfers come by and we follow a lot of surfers. I don't know anything. I don't know how to speak the language. Never been on a board in my life. I go on Instagram last night. I see this event. And I just do what I do. I do a little research. I do some digging because a lot of accounts are posting about it. And so I just 
look at some stories and do some Googling. And I see that there was this icons of foam surf competition at this thing called the boardroom show. I don't know what foam is. I don't know what the boardroom is, but I put this all together. And then I'm like, I'm going to bring this to the podcast tomorrow because Ryan wasn't at this thing. And it seems like something he would be at. And I'm going to pretend to know what I'm talking about. So then I Google surfboard lingo glossary and I get these great words like kook, Barney, Hang 11, which I guess is riding a surfboard naked. I looked up that you could also call a surfboard a log. So I set up this stupid, idiotic, not even good satire preamble. And what do we get out of it? A genuine, heartfelt 10-minute take on the surf industry from you. Well, yeah. I mean, it's honestly something that's bothered me for a long time. Oh, it's great. I didn't know that I would accidentally stumble into this unlocked part of your brain that you and I would have never otherwise talked about unless I saw some stupid stuff on Instagram. Part of the reason why I've struggled with being burnt out on that industry, not riding waves. I think there's a difference between riding waves and surfing. That would be calling surfing like the surf culture. I'm talking about like dealing with the people in the parking lot, the crowds, the language, the territorial, the tribalism, the the cheapness. You know, they all want a discount. There's just so many things that when you're in it for a long time, they fucking bother you. And so you get burnt out on that kind of stuff. And I've never been able to really talk about this shape off show and call me whatever you want. I just think it's lame. I'm glad I finally have yeah. this this platform to tell everyone how I feel about I, it. I can't believe this is something you've wanted to say for years. Yeah. And I accidentally set you up I can't, for it. That's why when you said it, that's why I said at the top of the show, I said, I can't believe you brought this up. By the way, I have no idea what and, I was talking about and yeah. I have no idea what and you just I said. Just want, I just want to say this one last time before we move on, that I have the utmost respect for the board builders, the craftsmen, the legends that get honored in this thing. I don't mean to shit on this whole thing. I I think it's silly. I think surf contests in general are silly. They're subjective. I think this thing is cool, like that they're honoring these guys. I definitely support that because these legends and pioneers from these board builders that started this whole industry for us, they should be honored. I just think that the way they're doing it's a little silly, and I'm glad I got that off my chest. Me too. (laughs) Didn't understand it, but really enjoyed listening to it. And I hope you did as well. You didn't understand any of that. Loyal listener. I don't understand what I said to set it up, but it was fun. You need to come back over there and watch me shape one afternoon. You should let me try to shape. Fuck no, dude. (laughs) You can't even tie your shoes. That's why you're wearing slides. Okay, there are two more sports topics to talk about. I would let you choose, but... This is a golf podcast, so I'm not going to give you the choice. We are going to talk about golf. We are going to talk about the Sanderson Farms Championship. And thank you to everyone who has made it 15 minutes into this podcast without hearing any golf talk. The Sanderson Farms Championship, the second PGA Tour event of the 2023-2024 season, ended in dramatic fashion a five-man playoff. I mean, there's probably not a more entertaining way to finish a tournament unless the following two things are true. One, it's the freaking Sanderson Farms Championship. Never heard of Sanderson Farms. The most anonymous professional golf tournament of all time. And two, the five guys in the five-way playoff are even more unknown than the tournament itself. I'll say this. Huge congrats to Luke List. I didn't know that that artist that does the black tape project with all the chicks putting electrical tape on their nips and stuff. I didn't know that he worked with golfers because I saw his hat and I was like, 
That's some nice black electrical tape on the seams there, dude. That is the worst hat I've <laughs> what is he wearing, dude? ever seen. How do you, how do you, like, I get it. These, these guys have these sponsors and stuff, but like, dude, they lay that shit out for him. Like, this is what you're wearing, bud, you know? And it's just like, how do you put that on and look at yourself in the mirror in the clubhouse right before you're about to go out for a professional tournament and fucking take yourself seriously? Like, also, can't they have a little backbone and be like, no, nah, dude, you know what? Maybe all white hat and this belt's whack. Like, let's switch. What are you doing, dude? Well, we saw in full swing the documentary about the PGA Tour with Netflix. Never heard of it. Colin Morikawa went to an Adidas scripting Oh, meeting, I saw that clip. And they put clothes in front of him, and he turned them down. And he, Adidas is his sponsor, and he's going to continue to wear Adidas. And whether or not you think Colin Morikawa dresses well or not, you at least saw him say no to some super whack stuff. Good for him. And good for him, yeah. So I do agree with you that they probably have a choice. I'm sure Colin Morikawa has more of a choice right. than Luke List. But someone said Luke List gave his original hat away to a fan because he never thought he was going to be in that playoff, and he had finished many, many moments earlier, and then he had to go scramble to find a hat. Don't know if that's true. It's unsubstantiated, but I thought I would throw that out there. Luke List dressed like that. I think the biggest shock was they showed his wife there, and I'm not that guy, but this woman straight up is beautiful, like a beautiful woman, 10 out of 10, unbelievably gorgeous. Do you follow her on Instagram? No, I don't know who she is. I don't know her name or anything. I think you probably looked. No, I did not. I did not. And we share an account so you can go and check the search history. Yeah, I'll be checking. Okay, I bet you will. But I was just like, wow, this guy in that hat is married to her. She's unbelievable looking and good for Luke. But instead of- Money, 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 money. (laughs) Money. (laughs) Instead of breaking down Luke List's victory at the Sanderson, I thought we'd do a special pop quiz right now to prove how ridiculously inconsequential the event is. I'll be Alex Trebek. Ryan, you'll be the contestant. Are you ready? Uh, Sure. Question number one, what does the Sanderson Farms Company do? Uh, Spray pesticides on all of our foods. (laughs) (laughs) They might. They are a poultry farming company. Poultry. Question number two, what state was the Sanderson Farms Championship played in? Kansas City. Kansas City isn't a state. Oh, yeah, Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, who cares? Mississippi. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I? Got it. What golf course, question number three, what golf course was the Sanderson Farms Championship played at? TPC Riverdale. The Country Club of Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) TPC Riverdale was booked. (laughs) Yeah, I bet it was. (laughs) They punched last week. (laughs) Yeah. Question... Question number four, before Luke List won yesterday, who was the defending champion? (laughs) Isn't this the first time they've had this tournament? (laughs) (laughs) You'd be surprised. It is not. (laughs) I have no idea, dude. Throw out a guess. Uh, uh, Let's see. Who's a a big-time player? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because they're at this event. Um, God, I don't know, dude. Can't even think of one golfer right now. Wow, you must really be smoked. Well, because uh, anyone I'm thinking of is someone famous. Yeah. I can't think of those bottom tier guys. Mackenzie Hughes. There you have it, folks. This concludes our in-depth coverage of the Sanderson Farms Championship. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Tune in next week when we break down the Shriners Open from Vegas. Wow. (laughs) JT going to be there, dude? He needs the points, right? No, I'm talking about Justin Timberlake, dude. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> FedEx Cup playoffs, the majors schedule, and this rollover season thing, it's got to change, dude. They're killing me, dude. They're killing me. We move on to our third and final sports topic. Fullerton Girls U8 Recreation Soccer. U8 standing for under eight. You've got to be under eight years old to play. Spoiler, everybody. Adam's daughter kicked the game-winning goal. Now, look, I understand kids are like fantasy football teams in March Madness brackets. Everyone has them, and no one wants to hear about yours. But I have a superstar on my hands here. My seven-year-old daughter, Penelope, is slicing and dicing this league into confetti. Her team is 6-0 and on the season. She has 10 goals, including three wow. game winners. Now, three game winners? Yeah. How's the defense? Look. <laughs> look. <laughs> look. 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 Yeah. Let's be, you know, right. let's call it on both sides here, Adam. Okay, and I will. Is fair- she that good, or are the other kids that bad? She's that good. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's pretty even out okay. there. Okay. 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 Shout out to Lars Lewis. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Okay. Look, now I'm actually counting down to Saturdays because I can't wait to watch the Neon Cheetahs go and kill their prey. The Neon Cheetahs kids. sounds like a strip club. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> okay. A couple of things here, and parents with kids and sports can relate to this. There's no better feeling in the world than watching your kid do well. Also, then this is the more important point. My daughter became really good as soon as I stopped coaching her. Kids will listen to anyone except their parents. Same goes with relationships. You want to put stress on your relationship? Try to teach your wife how to ski mm. or hit a golf ball. She'll kill you. She'll kill you. You could drop her off with some nice PGA gal. She'd be like, oh my God, golf's so fun. This is awesome. We have a thing when I play golf with my wife, she'll like look at me at some point. She'll be like, no more tips. And I'll be like, all right. Zip. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. There's something about people who are very close to other people not wanting to hear anything from them. Yep. But finally, I am nervous for that first loss of the season because I don't know how the kids and parents are going to take it. And I know that sounds super jacked up. It's girls U8 rec soccer. Who cares? It's going to be bad. But I'd be lying if I said we weren't all keeping track of the undefeated record. Everybody loses. Everyone loses. Yep. I don't know who's going to take it worse, the kids or the parents. Are the Dolphins the only team to go all the way? The Miami Dolphins? Yeah. Yeah, they went 17-0 and back in 1972. Yeah. And that's the only team, right? The New England Patriots went 18-1. and They lost the Super Bowl, but they went undefeated longer than the Miami Dolphins. Because, <laughs> Doesn't count. Because Just because they, they made the season longer. Yeah, you're right. You got to win the big game. You're right. You're right. They lost to the New York Giants that year. And there's a great saying about that season. 18 wins. One giant loss. You just love to hear it, folks. Wow. Even you had me going there. The answer to the hypothetical rhetorical question of who will be more upset, the kids or the adults, when the kids finally lose, (laughs) the adults. Sports parents are the worst parents. Oh, my God. And we all have to check ourselves, neon cheetah parents, to not become those people that make the game worse for the kids, for the refs, for each other. Put your lawn chair out and enjoy what you're watching because these kids grow up fast and then it's all over. So let's just all enjoy it. Before we move off this topic, let's make it about you for a second. Are you going to put Palmer, your two-year-old daughter, or is she three now? Two and a half, almost two and three quarters. Are you going to put your daughter into sports when she's old enough? If she wants to. What sports do you think she'll gravitate towards? Hopefully golf. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Palmer Ingle. I mean, dude, you can just see her at the top of the leaderboard at the WPGA, dude. I think it's the LPGA. I know, but my wife calls it the WPGA. <laughs> it's pretty funny. You know, your wife actually might be ahead of the curve. I forecast in the very near future that the LPGA will be rebranding as the WPGA pretty soon. I think so. Yeah, there has been, and look, we're not going to get into it because neither one of us know what we're talking about, and we're not women, so it's not our place, but the word ladies is kind of getting phased out. Why? Look, we're not the right guys to have the conversation, so we're not going to have it. The world is so easy to live in nowadays that people just spend time trying to find things to be upset about. That's the problem. Okay. Okay. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. But I think Katie Kai's ahead of the curve on that one. The W. PGA Tour. Has a ring to it, Debbie. It does. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> that will be edited out. <laughs> 100%. Okay, golf. Let's stay on it. We recapped the topical sports, the Sanderson, the Fullerton Neon Cheetahs and the surfboard shaping competition. But let's talk about golf because I played on Friday and I was, look, I don't need your body language, your deep exhales. Just get ready. Okay. Just get ready. You're going to have your chance here in a second. I played golf on Friday. I was quite sick and it doesn't take a genius to figure out how it happened. We've been running around nonstop, not taking care of ourselves. And I eat dinner every night with two kids that go to public school. So it was going to happen and it did. But that didn't stop me from playing golf on Friday afternoon at Recreation Park 18 in Long Beach, known affectionately by the locals as Big Rec. I played because it involved seeing a friend I haven't seen in forever. Shout out to my guy, Shane Weprick. And I also played because I haven't been able to get on Big Rec since the pandemic. Just an impossible tea time. And this is a place that I played twice a month for years before the COVID boom made it impossible. So I go out there sick as a dog, expecting to shoot a 91 because, well, I'm a 12.7 handicap. I haven't played in forever. The last time I played, I hit one of 13 fairways, well-documented on this very podcast, and I was sick. Then the starter tells me that the greens are punched and sanded. Did that stop them from charging full pop? Absolutely not. Of course not. Why would it? This is golf. We're all drug addicts when it comes to the game. So you can give us a shitty product and we'll still pay full top inflated dollar. That's bullshit, by the way. To get our fix. So once I found out that the greens were punched and I started thinking I'm going to post a bowling score, not a golf score. And the only thing I had in my system was a double shot of knockoff brand Dayquil. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the details of my best driving day ever or the flushed iron shots or the dialed wedges. I'll just skip to the part where I shot an 81 and had a career nine with a back nine score of 38 on a par 72 golf course from the tips with punch greens, sicker than a dog's ass. And oh yeah, it was a Lance Armstrong round one ball the entire time. I felt like a real golfer. And if you take those punch greens away, it's probably an 84. Uh, it's probably a 71. Yeah, right. Dude. You know what? Punch greens, you just slap it close and they're gimmies. And I hate to say it, but there's an asterisk on that, that score. Yeah, it should have been a 61. 
Should have been no. a 51. No. That's how well what's I played. The, what's the total yardage from the tips? I don't have that in front of me. Yeah. I'm going to say it's probably... 62? 8,000-yard course. <laughs> yeah. Probably 6,200 yards or something. Take it easy. It's a great track. Anyone who knows Big Rec, just email the show right now. Or slide into Ryan's DMs, at Tips from the Tips, and tell him Big Rec is a real golf course. And I shot a real 81 that should have been a 51 because of the punch greens. Now, I talked to someone else who said they broke 80 for the first time when they had a fever. And it got me thinking, because being sick definitely helped. It slows you down. It lowers your expectations. It keeps you from drinking and smoking. And you know what? Michael Jordan's famous flu game, 38 points in game five of the 1997 finals while battling the flu, I just topped it. He's Michael Jordan. I'm Adam Hawk. He's supposed to do that. I'm not. A 12.7 shooting an 81 on punch greens with a 38 on the back, way more impressive than Michael Jordan putting up 38 in the final. So from now on, when people refer to the flu game, we should all just assume they're talking about my 81 at Big Rec. Your thoughts? No comment, dude. No comment. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm really happy for you. Good job. Great playing, bud. We don't need to break down the round, but don't you think that my accomplishment relative to my skill level is more of an accomplishment than Michael Jordan in, in the finals? No, because his court wasn't punched and sanded. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you tell me why sanded and punched greens is an advantage? It's like bumper bowling. You can just whack it at the hole. And it just wiggles right and left the whole time and kind of goes in that general direction. It takes a lot of break out. It takes a lot of speed out. So you can just kind of like hit it. And when the ball stops, it stops. So once you feel the speed out, you just get a lot of two putts, a lot of easy two putts. And the ball coming into the green from the shots, they just kind of sit where they land because there's so much sand there. So that's probably what you saw. Your weird, skanky, low, slicey iron shots were just sitting on the first bounce, and then you'd slap a putt somewhere near the hole, and it was just kind of a gimme. So you got a huge advantage having punched greens. The game is played with the nuances of the greens being undulated and rolling out. Okay. Okay. I pride myself on honesty, and I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Okay. I was flagging it. (laughs) If you were flagging it, how many birdies did you have? One. One birdie, and you're flagging it? Well, punch greens. What? Would you have 30 putts? I had a lot of putts. Yeah. Punch greens. But I'm (laughs) I'm going to tell you that you are right. Every place on the green where my ball hit over the course of 18 holes- Sat right there. Didn't move. Yep. Didn't move. There were at least 10 shots that should have rolled off the back on a normal day that sat pin high. So it smells like 84, 85 to me. Still a decent round for you at a 6,200-yard course. So here's what I'm going to do from now on. Three days before any tea time that I have, I'm going to go to my kid's school, and I'm going to start licking the walls. (laughs) I'm going to start making out with the drinking fountains, and I'm going to have kids sneeze in my face because the secret to great golf isn't a square club face. It's being sick as hell. You'll love to hear it. FYI, my 12.7 handicap is now a 12.1. Whoa. The march to single digits continues in the right direction. And I got to tell you, folks, the last two years, Ryan and I have played in a member guest out at his country club, Indian Wells. We had one hell of a year this year. I am not doing us any favors by lowering that handicap. No. 
because Fat City could be right around the corner. I'm playing myself off of the team by playing better golf. Maybe I'll invite someone else this year. Yeah, you got to go find that guy who's a 15 that can play down to a nine because that's yeah. what I did last time. And it was fantastic. Okay, as we wrap up, let's talk about food. How about that? You want to talk about some food? Okay. Okay. The other day we got in and out and we got it early because here's the tip, folks. That's the way to go. If you want to beat the drive through line, you got to go to in and out right when it opens up. And this doesn't just save you time getting, no pun intended, in and out. But according to you, Engel, it's the best time for the freshest ingredients. Oh, yeah. The, the lettuce and the tomatoes and the onions at 1030 when in and out opens, they snap like a Clausen pickle commercial. Just every bite, dude. By 12, 1 o'clock, just a little soggier. Your first bite of an In-N-Out burger at 10.30 in the morning, sounds like you're eating a bag of chips. Sounds like a car crash. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. And once you have that, you just, you never go back. How could you? You can't. We work not far from an In-N-Out. I can never remember. Does it open at 10 or does it open? 10.30. I think it's 10.30. You're right. It's 10.30, but I can never remember. Does it open at 10? Does it open at 10.30? So I went to look for the hours on Yelp. I would never in a million years Yelp in and out I don't have any reviews to leave about in and out It's a perfect establishment. It's always the same. Yeah. Who is going to leave a review about in and out I have no idea. It's sad people. Correct. So I go there to check the hours. Lo and behold, 1030. But what caught my eye was the rating for in and out on Yelp. And this just fired a rocket right up my ass. Three and a half stars. Wow. For in and out. There's just, there's too many haters in the world to take any of that shit serious anymore. The keyboard warrior mentality nowadays is so over the top and everywhere. I don't believe anyone or anything. I just can't. It's a five-star system. Yeah. In and out at three and a half stars is about three and a half stars less than it should have. This is a seven-star out of five-star restaurant right? for what it is. You're going to go trade a $10 bill, get an immaculate fast food meal, double-double fries, a drink, and you're going to get change back, and you're going to get it fast. It's going to be hot. And friendly. And friendly as hell. They're going to triple-check your order. They're going to read it back to you every time. They're going to get that line moving, and they're going to get you fed. And you give that three and a half stars? That's crazy. Also, have you ever been inside an In-N-Out? Oh, my God. Talk about licking the walls. Yeah. That's a a facility that if there's an emergency, I'm going skin to seat, not even putting the liner down. Right. You know? (laughs) I'm feeling that cold porcelain on on my cheeks, dude. I trust it. Yep. I have complete trust. They've earned that trust. Yep. And to see a three and a half star rating next to In-N-Out on Yelp would be like a three and a half star rating next to Jesus. Now, did you go and read some of the... Couldn't do it. Couldn't bring myself to it. Like you said, who's got time for that? Who goes on to Yelp to rate in and out And then who goes on to Yelp to rate in and out anything less than five stars? Yeah. Just disgusting. But while we're on the topic of in and out you let me in on one of the greatest secrets of all time. And I think you should let the people in on it too. How do you get your diet Coca-Cola from in and out Lemon. Little wedge of lemon in it. I'll tell you what, folks. A DC on the rocks with a lemon, there's something going on there. Mm. There's a chemical combustion that happens. Once you go there, you can't go back. 
I had never experienced the Diet Coke with a lemon wedge from In-N-Out. Um, Engel brought it back to the office one day. I took a sip, didn't know what was in it, and thought I had just died and gone to heaven. And I said, well, what, what's what's with the Diet Coke? And oh, you're, dude, you're making my mouth water. Like, I would I would put one down so hard right now. I would kill for so one. So hard right now. I need it. Yeah, DC with lemon. And there's something about those fountain DCs. The way the shit in the bags of syrup mix with the different separate line of carbonation, it comes down that little flute, and they mix for the first time. It's like... They're just now touching for the first time. There's a there's something happening there. And then you throw the natural, God's acidity of just that wonderful citrus squeezed in there. Holy smokes. Yep. There's something happening there. It's amazing. If you're lucky enough to be listening to this podcast in Southern California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, wherever In-N-Out is now. Is there one in Hawaii? I think there might be one in Waikiki. I could be wrong, though. There's probably a better possibility of an in and out in Waikiki than a fellowship listener in Waikiki. That's true. You never know, though. <laughs> you never know. My brother Aaron is honeymooning in Italy, and he pressed play on a bunch of episodes, so we get those Italy stats coming through on Spotify now. Mm, I love the Italians. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Grab yourself a Diet Coke with a lemon. You will never, ever, ever ever go back every diet coke afterwards will be ruined if it doesn't have a lemon yep. in it my wife notoriously hates diet coke won't touch it and then she tried it with a lemon and thought that it was amazing yeah it's so good now because you introduced me to something great i'm going to return the favor right now and this is going to sound crazy but we are on the topic of food and i do this at my house and i get crushed for it because everyone just thinks it's disgusting if you're having a bowl of chocolate ice cream, and by the way, how often does that happen? Never. You're not an ice cream guy? Chocolate ice cream's for girls. Here we go. Let me guess. You're Rocky Road or nothing? No. Ice cream starts with vanilla. Like, you wouldn't have chocolate ice cream if it wasn't for vanilla ice cream. All of it's, after that's just a bastardized version. Or is it good? Yeah. But I mean, if I'm buying ice cream for the house, am I buying a tub of chocolate? Absolutely not. I'd rather go vanilla and put some chocolate on top. Dude. Okay. This can work with vanilla ice cream as well. I put potato chips in my ice cream. That's not too bad. I, I think that's probably good. I've done that. Have you ever dipped French fries in soft serve ice cream? There we go. Holy shit. Here's the thing, man. So when we have ice cream at the house, I will always take some plain potato chips, whether they are of the ruffle variety. You love the ridges. It's just got to be kind of a plain potato chip. Yeah. And you crumple those up and you put them in your ice cream. And my kids and my wife look at me like I'm some kind of type two diabetic with a death wish. Why would you do this? Why are you mixing two junk foods? I was going to say Neanderthal, but keep going. Well, here's the thing. Like you mentioned, the French fry in the soft serve or the French fry in the Wendy's Frosty. Oh, yeah. That's the... That's it. The French fry in the milkshake. This is as old as time. People have been dipping potato products the into ice cream. The secret to any recipe is the balance between salty and sweet. Thank you. Thank you. The Japanese word is umami, something like that. It's like the, the balance of those things is what you want. I'm not sure. Honestly, I, I back the potato chips in the chocolate ice cream. Thank you. Thank you very much. Also, umami means the essence of deliciousness. Yep. It is the combination of sweet and sour, bitter and salty. Almost got it right. No, you. I think you did get it right. Okay, we're going to go to the judges on that. Doot, doot, doot. And you are correct, Ryan. You did better on Japanese lingo than you did on the Sanderson Farms Championship. Oh, th thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
Potato chips in ice cream, chocolate, or vanilla, it'll change your life. I love it. And the last, last, last thing now that I'm on the subject, you drink beer at the house. Miller Lite and Fireball, right? That's your go-to? Lately, yeah. Okay. You ever hit the top of the Miller Lite can with a little table salt? No, but famous pro surfer, he was in Endless Summer 2, Pat O'Connell. His older brother, Jimmy O'Connell, was just local legend of the boys in Dana Point growing up. We used to play basketball together and stuff. And he was famous for making the Jimmy O. Now, the Jimmy O is a poor man's margarita. So you crack open a Tecate Red and you take one swig of it so you give yourself a little room at the top. You know, you you get down the, the beveled neck a little bit so mm. you're like right to the top of the logo. You squeeze about three limes in there and you wedge one line behind the tab of the thing so it kind of sits in the, the tub right here of the top of the can so there's still some residual lime for every sip just sitting all over the top and then you just douse the whole thing with salt on mm, top. Mm. You take a sip of that, ice cold, you close your eyes, you're like, fuck, is this a margarita? Dude, Jimmy O's. The next level is the spicy Jimmy O. You do the same thing and you just throw a dash of tapatio in the in the hole. Holy shit, Adam. Wow. Yeah. I got to try those around here. Fuck. I'm, we might need to go to the store right after we finish up this tape and grab a couple DCs with lemon mm. and a couple Jimmy O's. <laughs> How about it, folks? <laughs> All right. So let us tell you right here. Diet Coke with lemon, you got to do it. Potato chips and the ice cream, you got to do it. And salt in the beer, you got to do it. You love to hear it. You love to feel it. Yeah, it's just something you love. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening to the Monday edition of The Fellowship. We will talk to you again next week. Okay. Jimmy-o, Jimmy-o! <laughs>